You're listening to And what is poppin' everybody? It is the Good Pop Culture Club, episode 132. Uh, my name is Marvin Yu, and joining me as always to talk about all the good pop that gets us through our days. Uh, we have formerly self-proclaimed professional Asian American Jess Jew. Hey, hey Jess. Marvin. Hello. I'm I am very um, still spinning from the emotional turmoil that is watching 12 episodes of Andor in like three days. Yeah. But it's great. It's great. That sounds, we're going to talk about this because I watched this over the course of like, what, nine weeks? And I thought it was pretty tense all throughout. So I'm curious to see how the concentrated viewing was for you. Um, (laughs) Also joining us, professional culture editor, Han Nguyen. Hey, Han. Hey, hey. You you watched this alongside me. We were watching week to week, right? Yeah. I mean, I think I did a couple chunks and then I did week to week. Mm, I know. And I think I was the only one that actually watched all three episodes when it premiered and spent the rest of the time begging you two to watch with me. <laughs> I was going to watch it. I just I prefer a binge model or or I think I think actually and we could talk about this, but I think taking them in three episode chunks is perfect. Yeah, I like mini binges. And it was one of those things where it's like the uh, I was willing, but, you know, there's a lot of TV out there, if you know, yeah. <laughs> you didn't know. So sometimes I have to prioritize things that are easier or things that I don't have to focus on while it's on in the background. Yeah, like this is too good. You like need that. to like you're just kind of drawn in and then you kind of have to pay attention. So, yeah, yeah. you can't half ass. You need a whole ass. This <laughs> yeah. In case you missed it, we are talking about the Disney Plus Star Wars series Andor um, this week for Good Pop, which, man, like Jess said last episode, what if Star Wars had the audacity to be good? Oh, man, it's when it's good, it's great. And, you know, Rogue One is what drew me into the entire Star Wars universe in the first place. So I am I am eating like this is everything I've ever wanted. I seem to remember you had a big old like you dressed up as Jin Urso for that Halloween when Rogue One came out, didn't you? I did. And it was very racist because everyone thought I was Kelly Marie Tran. I'm like, that's Ugh. rude. Um, yeah, I still have a Jin Urso. I have her whole outfit. I bought her outfit. It's, it's fantastic. <laughs> um, and I, that is still my favorite Star Wars movie. And I think Andor is, I mean, spending time in that world, in that grayness of Star Wars and that complexity of Star Wars has been really, the adult Star Wars has been really fun. (laughs) Well, looking forward to finally chatting with you both about Andor. But before we get to that, uh, let's find out what pop culture has been getting us through this week. Um, Let's start with, let's start with Jess. What's popping? So when I wasn't super binging Andor, I started Wednesday, which a lot of people did because I believe it is now the first number one show in on Netflix. Um, I don't have a big history or sentimental attachment to the Adams family, but it is a mystery. It's a little spooky. And honestly, the best part of the show is Jenna Ortega, who plays Wednesday. She's so good. Um, And... Again, I think it's a mystery is an easy hook. Um, and just, I'm, I'm also not the biggest Tim Burton fan, but I do think this is probably the best concept to director collaboration of his I've seen in a while. 
Um, and yeah, I really have been enjoying it. Yeah, I I have not started it yet. Uh, I kind of wish this had come out a month earlier in the midst yeah, of spooky season. Yeah, right? right? A little like- bit spooky. Yeah, but I guess, I guess the goths need to eat like <laughs> the rest of the year too. Um, I don't know much about like like I'm definitely gonna watch it because it sounds like a lot of fun. Uh, maybe after I finally finish, I, I need to finish the bear and White Lotus, and then maybe I'll s- slip in some Wednesday <laughs> after that. But I have been seeing the discourse going around, which is um, I guess they want the typical I guess like teen. Um, teen drama root of giving Wednesday a love triangle when everyone just wants her to be happy with her werewolf roommate. Who's a woman. Uh, yes. Yeah. Like, yes, it's very, um, the, their chemistry is way better than like the milk sop, <laughs> oh my you know, God. boy, little boy that like Wednesday would not be into a milk sop boy. Um, and I, I know there's also been discourse about the whole they filmed while Jenna Ortega had COVID, which is not great. And I think rightfully production is being blasted. And then also people are like, Luis Gomez isn't hot enough. I'm like, have you seen the Adams family? He's not supposed to be. The whole point is that you can't judge a book by its cover. I think that's more people being used to um, Raul Julia as, um, as Gomez Adams. Yeah. Yes. Which yes. that was actually the departure, which what if Gomez was hot? Was hot? Yeah, I'm like, it's fine. They're just, it's, I'm like, everyone go <laughs> outside and breathe a little bit. Thing is great, though. Thing, yes. Thing is great. Um, I think I think everyone's really well cast. I think it's, like, the, I think the family's well cast. Of course, Christina Rishi has a role in this, which, oh, also, apparently people didn't know she was the original Wednesday. <laughs> like, that was an Easter egg, and, like, I saw... Some like a millennial react, like I'm gonna go kill myself. I'm like, yeah, feels about right. <laughs> We're at that point now. Wait, people, yeah, she was one of the rich people. People didn't, didn't know. know. No, they're like, oh my god, did you know that the actor who plays Miss Thornbill was the original? Like, was the was in the movie? Like, was the movie Wednesday? Like, and it's like, y- y- yes, we kn- we know who Christina Ricci is, <laughs> but they don't. But then, did they know she's in Yellow Jackets? <laughs> Mind blown. Also, Casper. Oh my god, uh, just 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 hits after hits, you know. So um, it's fine. It's fine. Let the. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna get too worked These up about babies. it. I'm gonna enjoy yeah. it. Um, the, I. I'm assuming we're getting a second season because it did very well. Uh, and so we'll see if they can land a second season. Usually they can't, but it's fine. I already pay for Netflix. <laughs> this doesn't cost me anything extra. I mean, I guess we'll find out Netflix is not like giving as many chances as it used to. So, um, I yeah, but they we'll... give us like they give us like Stranger Things filmed in a Russian prison. I'm like, what was the budget for that? <laughs> yeah, you can usually tell the the shows that they put their money after. You know, uh, let, like let, em- yeah. Emily in Paris. Yeah, oh, let fuck. let David Harbor shoot in not a Russian prison. I was like, is he in the same Russian prison? Do they keep sending him back to this Russian prison that's obviously not in Russia? I think it's in like Romania or something. Like how many Russian prison sets do you think there are in the world? Maybe it was economical. Like while you're shooting Black Widow, let's also shoot Stranger Things and save some money. 
I Maybe. Don't know. I don't know if this is I a deal to cut with It Disney just looks cold and not really fun. So <laughs> I hope David Harbour can spend more time in this beautiful New York loft with his beautiful wife, Lily Allen. All right. Well, um, Han, what's popping with you? Uh, So I caught um, the French film Return to Soul, which is, I believe, a possible Oscar contender um, or at least an Oscar entry. Uh, it is a film by Debbie Chu. He is not Korean. He is um, French Cambodian, but he uh, did this film because uh, he was with a friend who um, actually this is lightly based on her own life, which is she decided she decided to go to Korea and brought him along. And uh, he got to witness some of the stuff that is kind of played out in this movie. Um, so what's really interesting about it is it is about a uh, transracial adoptee um, who had initially decided to go to Japan, but because of weather conditions, could not. <laughs> uh, I think it was a tsunami or something, and just sort of randomly was like, yeah, let's go to Seoul. Um, and, you know, while I'm there, maybe I can look at my parents. Uh, so what's interesting about this is um, a couple of things is, one, the lead actress is fantastic. She is also a first-time actor, um, because David Chu, Chu, Chow, I don't know, uh, had to find someone who is a, uh, uh, I think he wanted to try to find someone who um, was in that situation, also, you know, spoke French, is basically a French actor, but also Korean, of Korean birth. Um, so uh, he had to go outside of the regular actor pool. And so this is the first time that this person has acted. She's really, really, really good. Um, and so because of that, uh, this also in some ways mimicked like the his friend's um, journey, which was like, this person didn't know how to speak Korean, you know, uh, was fully assimilated, grew up in France. So seeing the way that she could or could not get in touch with certain parents, how they react to her, because they see her as being, you know, Korean, but she doesn't even speak it. Um, how she can speak to other Koreans who know French. Um, and it's kind of her journey over several years, sort of like playing with her how she reacts to that i thought it was very good because it wasn't a very you know like neat tying uh tied up with a bow sort of situation i felt it was a little more honest <laughs> than some of them um it was just kind of it was kind of vibes also uh and the lead character uh freddie is pretty interesting i think so uh i i do have to say i watch this because i also accepted a a freelance story about it so i was like oh, i better watch it so i can make sure i understand what i'm editing um but yeah i actually really enjoyed it it is kind of a longer film so if you check it out um but it's it's a mix of korean french and english because the one common uh, language that it seems like all of them speak is some english uh which is also pretty true so um yeah i really enjoyed it I guess I have one question, which is more of a subjective one, which is, so this is a Sony Pictures classic joint. So it's like a indie film. Is it one that Jess would watch on her own? Mm, yeah. Or am I going to be sleepy, sleepy time? <laughs> I think you might find it a little sleepy, but mm. it's not. But I don't think you would dislike it like um, Green Knight. 
because it doesn't <laughs> it doesn't have those sort I, of pretensions. It's a it's grounded in reality, and and I think the main actress is actually really compelling and the character that she plays. So honestly, if if you are maybe watching it with someone, like maybe your fiance, um, <laughs> then then it could I think it would you would end up liking it, but uh you would have to definitely commit to it. His his attention span is like worse than mine, okay. Oh, like well then maybe not then. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, probably not. Um, unless, like, you know, hold us captive in a very dark room, like a movie theater. Right, right, yeah, right. Like if you I, paid to see it, you might like yeah, it. Yeah, I feel like I'm more Jess's indie film companion than than her fiance is. Yeah. <laughs> yes, okay, Marvin then. and I watch a yes. lot of weird shit together. <laughs> yeah, then, yes, if you did that, which I'm not saying you should, because there are a lot of movies out there, so you have to, like, pick and choose what you're willing to expose yourself for. But um, I, I'm sure it will also eventually be available to stream or download or whatever so but um yeah i i thought it was actually pretty good and it's not yes it's an indie film ish sony pictures classics but um it doesn't it feels fairly accessible i think um and without it being too glib <laughs> because i don't think anyone can watch this and be like well this is everyone's experience you know i don't think so you you can definitely tell it's like just one person's yeah um, so, um yeah. yeah that sounds cool i mean I like that we're getting films about diaspora being the fish out of water as opposed to like the white person coming to a new country. Yes. Yes. It's like we we barely see any white people. I think at one point (laughs) she brings a a French boyfriend. But like, yeah, there's very most of them are going to be Korean people. Um, Oh, and because of me, baby K-drama watcher, I did recognize one actress (laughs) in there who is usually an auntie and she was definitely an auntie here. So nice. You know, we'll talk about this in Andor, but you got to get those local character actors, you know, that's mm-hmm. the bread and butter of of the film industry. <laughs> All right, Marvin, what about you? All right. So I've been continuing to catch up on the video games that I've been missing this past year, uh, specifically the narrative driven indies. Um, you know, a couple of weeks ago, I played the medieval murder mystery Pentiment. And this past week, I've been playing a game called um, I Was a Teenage Exocolonist um, by Northway Games. Um, it's available on, I think, every platform, including Switch, um, which is where I've been playing it on. Um, in this game, you play as a child uh, who was born in space in the middle of a 20-year journey to another planet. The game starts as your ship um, crash lands on that new planet and follows your life over the next 10 years as you grow up um, on the colony. And so the game has a pretty cool character creation system. You get to choose your pronouns and gender expression, and you get to pick a lot of narrative choices that determine your skills. And the way the game works is um, each year is broken up into 13 months, and each month you pick a different activity to do that will build your stats, which will determine your skills, which will then determine what you can and can't do um, during key narrative choices. The game story is presented in a visual novel um, style, so a lot of static sprites and a lot of texts, and um, these games live or die on the writing, and the writing in this game is pretty solid. Uh, You start out the game as a 10-year-old, and so your main focus is just having fun with your friends and exploring this new land that you found yourself in. But as you get older, you start realizing all the things that the adults have been hiding from you, and you also start to think about things like uh, like politics. Politics, like 
colonial things. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, the game definitely touches on those topics, as well as, you know, you start to also realize that um, the planet is actually pretty hostile um, to you, and um, the flora and fauna may or may not be trying to um, to kill you all the time. To be fair, you are in their house, Marvin. <laughs> yeah, the game is interested in exploring those themes, and like the relationships between humanity, the environment, um, each other in community. Um, the game is interested in exploring, you know, these colonists have an opportunity to start over, start society over. And, you know, will they end up bringing the mistakes of Earth to this new planet as well? And, you know, the game does get a little bit dark. There are some content warnings. Um, you know, people die because, you know, it is hard to live on an alien planet. And, you know, my character is in their 17th year and um, has already become an orphan. So. <gasps> Oh no! <laughs> yeah, um, so it's it's not a light story by any means, even though ultimately it is a hopeful story. Um, I, I will truly never understand why why you choose to do this on your <laughs> off time for joy. I mean, the game itself is actually a lot of fun. Uh, the gameplay itself, again, is pretty straightforward. It's mostly just reading through story events, making choices, but occasionally you do um, run into um, certain challenges um, that you need to play through and. That is when the game's um, main gameplay mechanic comes in, which is it's also a deck builder. And so um, for those unfamiliar with um, this type of game, basically, as you play, you're building a deck of cards, uh, which represent your memories growing up and your experiences. And as you face challenges in the world, such as um, facing down aliens, um, farming, persuading adults or you know, doing science... Uh, you're faced with a card game using these cards to face those challenges. And the way the card game works is you're basically building hands. Um, so imagine poker hands, you know, all the cards have a number value and a color suit. So basically you're trying to create flushes and straights to increase your score so that you can hit your your number goal. Uh, so if you succeed, you gain extra stat points. But if you lose, the game still goes on. There's no real lose state. And the game actually employs a pretty interesting mechanic um, regarding end games. So um, there's 29 different endings. So um, lots of different ways to play and lots of different ways things will turn out. But yeah, I've been having a lot of fun. I know it sounds like a bleak game, but it's also really stop thought provoking. The characters are really well written. I'm going to be real, Marvin. I don't think I'm going to play this. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's not for everybody. I know I'm not, but you know, I'm always I'm happy, happy you're to hear happy. About it. Yeah, I'm happy you're happy. <laughs> I, I also like these recommendations in case someone else is asking me, like, what should I play? Then I'm like, I'll look back at our like past history and be like, what about this one? <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, I've been having a good time with it, so um, I definitely recommend it, especially if you're into narrative um, games with hard choices. Um, it's definitely a good one of those. Um, the game, again, is I Was a Teenage Exocolonist, um, available now on all the platforms, um, PlayStation, Xbox, PC, Switch. And yeah, on that note, that'll do it for what's popping for this week. Um, actually, before we go, I ha I see on the notes here, that we want to talk about the World Cup. Um, I mean, it would have been nice to have a Go Asian moment with the World Cup, but unfortunately, that uh, yeah, didn't happen. I, ju I just had to say, well, they got pretty far um, and did better than expected. So that was a really big thing. And I'm sure each of you have kind of heard the discourse about the really good looking player. Um, player number nine, uh, Cho Guisung, I think his name is. Uh, yeah. And like literally overnight, 
he started an Instagram account. And did he get like, like a million like marriage proposals? It, yeah, it kind of got insane. So of course I was like, well, I got to watch. So I've been watching. And then just recently they played Brazil and lost in kind of a, they got trounced, mm. let's just say. But I mean, so I was watching. They played Brazil on the World Cup. I know. I mean, <laughs> look, they got far. It was basically final 16. So I was like, you know what? That's pretty far for a, a team that's not as well known as all these other ones. Yeah, and they made it out of um, round robin play, which is good. That's you know top making the top sixteen, making the first yeah. round of knockouts is like a pretty good achievement. It's like they, it's it's pretty awesome. Yeah. So and they of knocked course, the win against have, Ronaldo, which is you know pretty good too. Yeah, and so they got their sort of breakout star, which I thought was kind of interesting. I did look at all of them, and I was like, they're all pretty good looking, but this guy is a little bit cut above. <laughs> I get it. Uh, He's a little idle, you know, like worthy. Um, so, but it's also, but like most of them were pretty good looking. They're pretty good. So, soccer, I mean, soccer, soccer players are generally dudes pretty, are generally yeah. are pretty they're, they're good looking. Yeah, they're physically fit, but you know, many of lean. Them, yeah, many of them had just really nice cheekbones, good lips. Yeah. Um, but anyway, and, <laughs> yeah. But then you know, unfortunately, they were. F- I mean, they made they they were seeded sixteen, which means they're playing as the first seed. Which is just not a good position to be in. That's that's. I mean, that's tough. That's why I was like pretty impressed that they got so but far. We were so. so we were so close to a Japan, Korea quarterfinal. Oh my god, that would have been insane! It's like Japan ooh, on site, both sides. Let's go. <laughs> Japan was really close. Also, though, they I think they lost in like penalty kicks. Yeah, so they got creamed in PKs, which you know. Uh, that's always you heartbreaking. You hate to see it. It uh, is. I mean, it's it's tough. Uh, well, I understand that at this level they have to do that, but still, it, it probably hurts you every single time you have to do that. So I still remember anyway. when I was in San Diego during the first World Baseball Classic, Japan and Korea were in the same pool. So they played each other like three times. And I remember all of LA Koreatown and all of like, like all of LA's oh, Koreans and all of LA's Japanese all like drove down to San Diego and packed the stands. It was like the first time I've ever seen like Asian, like people don't understand, but like mm-hmm. Asian baseball fans are like built different. They're like soccer fans. They're chanting the entire time. They're like mm-hmm. singing. It's it's so much fun, but also because it's Japan versus Korea, so much like just generational trauma. <laughs> yeah, I was about to say it goes deep, <laughs> you know, that sort of rivalry. So yeah. Uh, anyway, but yeah, so I just wanted to say a shout out to them, even though like they didn't, you know, take it all the way. But, you know, they did pretty well. Hey, you know, Japan and Korea usually do pretty well in these international sports things like soccer and baseball. So mm-hmm. it's always fun because people are always like surprised for some reason. Well, I mean, my thing is just like since I would by default cheer for them, I am now going to have to find some other team because like I don't follow teams. I am not a, you know, that type of person when it comes to sports. I kind of decide on the spot. And so the Asians are the easy, you know, like choice. Since um, they're not going to go all the way, then now I'm going to have to be like, well, who's the underdog? I hear Morocco is one. So I was like, okay, maybe I'll go for them. <laughs> um, but, you know, it, it will be totally random. Sometimes I'll be like, who's the mascot or what's the whatever? You what always default got to go for the colonized first, right? Yes, exactly. Like, like exactly. we all, you know, we all, we all share that. So, uh, <laughs> and then after that, it's like, oh, you know, if it's all just like white dudes who make millions of dollars at that point, it's like, who's the cute one? 
Yeah, it, it <laughs> there's no science to this, but it's usually like I have to have some sort of emotional like reason to like go for one. So yeah. Anyway. <laughs> All right. Uh, well, that was popping for this week. When we come back, the long-awaited good pop on Andor. So excited. We'll be right back. Hey, Sharon. Hey, Roman. How are folks still racist? I know, right? We're like two decades into the 21st century. Yeah. And second question, where's my jetpack? Well, I can't help you there, but have I got a podcast for you. Modern Minorities is a show where each week, my longtime pal Raman and I uncover common and uncommon truths that we all need to hear for our majority brains and ears. Yeah, Sharon and I have spoken to doctors, lawyers, directors, climate activists, angry Asians, athletes, chefs, writers. Folks who are black, brown, gay, straight, and everything in between. Past guests have included comedian Margaret Cho, Southern Poverty Law Center journalist Geraldine Mariba, comics creator Jean Lunyang, and many, many more. We've even talked about Ramadan, Black History Month, Kamala Khan, and Robin being queer. It's like we're trying to solve racism with the podcast. Challenge accepted. So check out Modern Minorities at modmypod.com or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Remember, we're all modern minorities, but we're no one's model minority. Hello, I'm Phil Yu, and I'm the host of All the Asians on Star Trek, the podcast in which I interview all the Asians on Star Trek. I'm talking to actors, writers, directors, stunt people, background extras. You know, all the Asians on Star Trek. Find out more at alltheasiansonstartrek.com. Part of the Potluck Podcast Collective. Live long and prosper. Alright, and welcome back to the Good Pop Culture Club. On this week, we are talking about Andor, the latest Disney Plus Star Wars series starring Diego Luna as the titular Andor, who we last saw stealing the Death Star plans in um, Rogue One. This is the story of his origins and how he became a spy for the Rebel Alliance. The show is created and executive produced by Tony Gilroy, um, who is probably best known as the writer behind Michael Clayton, as well as um, how many Bourne movies did he do? Was was it just the last I one? I think he did. He did all of them. Or not not the Mark Wahlberg one. He did do the one Mark Wahlberg one, but he did the original trilogy as the writer. Mm-hmm. And he did write the Bourne Legacy and he directed that one. Yeah, again, no, I don't think anyone watched Bourne Legacy, right? That was the one. No, Jer- Jeremy, Jeremy Renner. Renner. I, I watched that one. I Sorry, thought, it makes my white dudes up. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. I mean, that was the one where they were like, that was the one where he discovered people didn't watch the Bourne movies for the political intrigue about institutional power. They watched it to watch Matt Damon beat people up. Sure. I mean, but let's not forget, more importantly, he has a... He shares a writing credit for Armageddon as well as The Cutting Edge, the original Cutting Edge, <laughs> which is a fantastic sports rom-com. If you've yes. never seen it, you should. It's an Olympic sports rom-com. It's excellent. So good. <laughs> is that where he gets his romance bona fides from? Because the romance is in the yes. show. 
between I mean, opposites. It's, <laughs> it's very sexy, right? Like the show's mm-hmm. it's both very sexy and very grotesque in some places. <laughs> it's a lot more dull, but I think it's just overall just relationships. Yeah. Like he is he's very good at relationships. He's very good at I think like interiority and like like blurring of desire. Like it, you're it's never on the surface what any of his characters kind of want yeah i mean so right up front so we're gonna start our discussion with a more of a spoiler free overview of the show what we liked about it and and why if you have not watched it yet you should probably watch andor and then you know after we decide whether or not this is a good pop and and the show after the credits we're gonna be going to our spoiler zone um where we'll just we're gonna talk about everything we love about andor um so if you do if you have seen andor and want to participate in those discussions um, please stick around but um let's just start off right off the bat like what did you all think you're right marvin it's fantastic i knew it was, fan- it was gonna be fantastic but man it is it it's like it's so good it makes me kind of mad that like star wars can be like this but why isn't every star wars like this <laughs> it is amazing right like who knew that we were gonna get like we we knew this was gonna be Similar to the vibes of Rogue One, which is talking about on the ground, like taking a more um, grounded approach and lens to the rebellion. But who knew we were going to get like prestige level, like political drama on Disney Plus? Yeah, it just happens to be in the world of Star Wars. Um, I I loved it. It's it's. I mean, again, I Rogue One was what drew me into Star Wars in the first place. And this is definitely in that same vein. But then there's just more time. And it's, I think it's even more adult than Rogue One. Like, a lot of people get iced in this, like, on screen. <laughs> and there's just, like, like right off the bat, like, there's just a lot of violence, which is weird because you would expect a Star Wars to have war in it. But it's... It, it's so much more intimate. It's like the difference between like seeing like, you know, like CGI ships getting blown up and like watching a man stab another man. Right. Like up close and personal. <laughs> um, and that's just always and I've always I've gone on record like I don't like Jedi. I don't like following the Jedi. I think it's kind of when I think when you're imbued with like Jedi powers, you kind of already have like a stake in this greater fight in the galaxy. And that's inevitable. But like I love spending time with just like the normal people who don't have powers, who are oppressed by this fascist regime. And like, what can you do in the face of that? Do you, what do you choose to do with that? Do you choose to like, what is your duty to stop this regime? Or in some cases, you know, if we're talking about the people who are loyal to the empire, like what's your duty to the empire? Um, And it's all just, it's great. I I loved it. If you couldn't tell, I fucking loved it. Oh my God. And like to see, like spent just time with my sexy Diego Luna being all emo and like, Oh my God, I could fix him. Like, just let me love you. Yeah. I mean, you make a good point about how this show portrays like violence and, perhaps the necessity of violence in the struggle. And I mean, thinking about it in star Wars, when the Jedi do violence, they're like heroic figures who are coming in and they have like the moral high ground as self-appointed space monk cops. Whereas, whereas in Endor, like he doesn't have that moral, like, I guess mandate, like he's just a guy trying to survive and he's doing what he has to do. And sometimes that involves shooting some cops. Um, It's, it does hit a little. A different. lot of times that, that involves shooting some cops. 
Which, yeah. And, yeah. And like, you know, people tend to forget that stormtroopers are Imperial cops. <laughs> um, yeah. I, I think what I really liked about this is we saw it happen really well in Rogue One. And um, as we were talking about, you know, there are more episodes. So I actually did have some fears because just because some something makes a good movie doesn't mean that they can always make a good TV show because some people just don't understand how to make TV shows <laughs> um, with discrete episodes, with arcs within, within each episode, plus arcs across episodes. Um and I think what I liked about it was that they took the time for you to follow so many characters to the point where you saw where the injustice was coming from. It's like, hey, I like this guy. Oh, my God. Why did this guy this thing happen to this guy? You know, and then over time, you can see it sort of like building up. And some of it was also kind of like sneaky because even some of the bad guys are kind of funny. Um, but you could see like I you know how muddy Star Wars has been like on TV where uh Falcon Winter Soldier, it's like the people who are the terrorists are also have like a good point, but they don't, but they're like, you know, then they're killed off. And you're just like, what, what sort of message was that? So it's like here, the people who you're supposed to be cheering for, I feel like they made some really good arcs and like understood like where some of the gray areas are while at the same time, very clearly making it, um, for me anyway uh who you're supposed to be citing yeah i mean we can get to we can talk about this more later because they're the most frustrating thing about the end or discourse is how many people see it as like a both sides thing where it's like no actually you know you learn about why this person is how he is and why this is why they support fascism it doesn't make them any better it just means they have a shitty reason to support fascism, which, to be fair, a lot of supporters of fascism have equally shitty reasons to do so, right? Well, I mean, that's just like saying, hey, um, let's make this serial killer series and just do it from the point of view of the serial killer, (laughs) Ryan Murphy. Um, It doesn't mean, doesn't mean just because he had a fucked up childhood or got abused that he's okay, you know, it's like, oh, I understand him. Nope, still shouldn't have been killing and yes. cannibalizing yes. people. Yeah, so. I mean, on that note, like you were saying, how this is like actually made like a TV show. I don't remember the last time we had a Disney Plus like big like IP project, right? Star Wars MCU, where we actually had discrete arcs following different characters, and that's something that like Game of Thrones does, right? That's something that like mm-hmm. prestige TV does is follow all these discrete characters. Like we're used to Star Wars being following the, the hero's journey. Like this is the hero going around making friends and you know solving problems like the Mandalorian yeah. or Obi-Wan Kenobi or Boba Fett. Yeah. Right? Where this one, like there are characters operating independently of each other, even though they're all connected somehow. And I, I thought that was yes. like really like it's it's all they're all connected they all affect each other they're all pushing and pulling against each other's like wants goals someone has something they want that all makes it such an interesting soup and then overall we also have to remember this this is happening against we know where cassian's story ends we know he is so vital to ultimately what is going to be the sky luke skywalker journey of taking out the empire right like the the whole but it's just so like to me that whenever i think about that it's like just so like that makes it like extra like wow they like they really just dug deep into like the sacrifices and all these things that had to happen 
for like this one little gay space boy in I guess we're five years before Yanvin. So like just a few years before like, you know, the the larger story and how they're all just trying to do their best with what little they have. And then in the end, like they almost don't matter. Like it matters, but Mm -hmm. like they don't know they matter, right? Like all of these actors are just kind of, they don't know. Um, like I, it really comes to the, to to that one episode with the uh, there's this one very powerful episode towards the end, the the finale of one of the arcs, where uh, Stellan Skarsgård character is like, I wrote an equation and there's only one answer, <laughs> right? And I'm just like, yeah, like everyone is like, we know how it ends. This is like the dramatic irony Shakespearean part of it. We know how it ends, and we know ultimately. Cassian is incredibly important that like all this investment for this one person is so important, but they don't know that. And it's just like, Oh my God, like you're just recruiting, like everyone, like people are dying for him. Like people are protecting him, you know, and, and he doesn't even know if he wants to do this. And you're just like, but if you don't do this, yeah, you don't destroy the Death Star. That's not a spoiler because if you have not been, if you if you don't know that's the end, that's on you. It's been like six years, like it's been seven years, eight years since the other movie or something and like 30 some, how many years since yeah, new since, uh, Last Jedi mm-hmm. from Return of the Jedi? I mean, it's been yeah. like Star Wars was 77. Return of Jedi yeah. was what? 83 so yeah it's been like yeah it's been like 50 something years <laughs> like if you don't know how this thing ends that's on you yeah i i what i love about this is it's also we're marveling at it being a really good tv show you know with arcs and all that type of stuff and it's because also like you're saying they don't rely on the jedi they don't rely oh, on a lot God. of let me tell you do you know how fucking excited i was, was that we did not go to tattooing once yeah and well and but he, they also don't rely on other Star Wars things like having a cute little thing, you know, like a droid no or a merch. Yoda. I don't or, know. Yeah. Bemo, B- B2 Emo. He's pretty yeah. cute. Pretty I cute. would buy a B2 Emo. Uh, I, I would, but I also don't think it's a kid type marketing cute thing. Because like, yeah. only sad adults mm-hmm. relate yeah. to mm-hmm. the broken down, burnt B2 out emo will, oh, Yeah, B2 Emo will affect you the most if you've had or known like a really old dog before. <laughs> yeah this is this is truly an adult it's for show. adults yeah this is not a cutesy watch it with your kids show yeah. unless they're like over a certain age so yeah i mean because star wars content for the last like say like decade maybe even two decades have been mostly the domain of jj abrams and dave filoni and both of those creators are very referential in what they make, right? You can't have a Dave Filoni series or a J.J. Abrams Star Wars series without someone saying, I have a bad feeling about this or like a callback or referencing to older like mm-hmm. there was that one joke scene in I think it was the first season of Mandalorian with stormtroopers just like missing something at point blank range. And like, yes, let me Taika tell you, episode. the stormtroopers in Andor, they do not miss. They don't miss. But they're also just so banally human. And that is also what I love. Like, there is the big bad evil people, right? There's the Mauls and the um, Palpatines and the Vaders. But, like, you know, there's only so many of them. The majority of the Empire is just run by people, which is why I think, here's my hot take, this whole show is really about the benefits of having good HR. Okay, <laughs> let me explain. So... 
<laughs> like, which I love because as an operations person, I'm like, yeah, your orgs, your missions, your causes really live and die on the people you bring in. And I love how so much of the empire or the security, you know, the private security, right, which they outsource. I'm like, that is so fascist. Um, you know, capital fa- fascists and capitalism really go hand in hand. Um, and and they're just like, you know, there's the people who are like overly eager. There's the people who are like, let's not bring like, we're not going to bring it up. Like, I need to cover this up. And then there's the people who are like not utilizing the skills of their people correctly. I mean, good for us when the fascists don't know how to manage their people. Um, because if they just gave what, you know, the lieutenant, the authority to do whatever she needed, she probably would have gotten some shit done. <laughs> she was very persistent. Yeah. Uh, and then versus like, you know, the whole show is really about Luthen trying to recruit Cassian because he sees a unique talent and he's like, we need you. The benefits of good HR, man. Yeah. Have good managers. Yeah. I, I love that the um the arc of Dedramiro, the um the Imperial, I guess intelligence officer played by um Denise Hoff, starts off as like a workplace drama about like a woman facing a glass ceiling until she goes yeah. mask off and said, Oh wait, no, she's also super fashy. Well, yeah, oh, yeah, I mean, like, she's just a Nazi. Like, there's no redeeming. She's just she's a she's a straight up Nazi. And her she's, outfit is very fashy. Yeah, she's very pro Nazi. And like, there's there's like, it is like the girl boss, but like, she's a Nazi, um, which I find very funny because I think there are some weird internet takes where like, oh, she's she's a metaphor for like, yeah, Glassily, yeah, but she's a Nazi, yeah. So that overrides everything. No sympathy for the Nazi. And I love that her counterpart is the incel, but also a Nazi. Yes. And, you know, they're both foils for Cassian, right? <laughs> Who is so un uncommitted, uncertain, who uh, does not want to be part of anything. Um, so it's it's an interesting it's an interesting yeah. foil. That's just good character writing. I mean, he does go through that hero's journey thing of like rejecting the claw at first because he just, you know, he just wants to live his life. He's a marginalized person with like no roots and he just he just wants to take care of his mom. He wants to go date some ladies and just have fun at Space Miami. And the cops just won't leave him alone. I mean, yeah, yeah, that's his that's his arc on the surface. But really, we know that he hates the Empire and hates he he's a it's interesting because his background in that first arc when we learn where he actually come from they do a little retconning i think they do it very well because in rogue one they say he is from fest which is supposed to be like this icy planet and we realize that's totally a cover um and he's really from this very tropical lush let's be real it's like it's a it's a it's a stand-in for the global south it's mined and environmentally ruined by the empire and their mining of resources to fund their war, which is another side effect of fascism. I mean, actually, not, not to actually you, but that was during the Republic time. So it was the pre-empire. Yeah, right. That's more even <laughs> interesting, right? So was it same, uh, different hats, same villain, whatever? I mean, people tend to forget that the empire is essentially the Republic. Just mask off. Mask off. Exactly. Um, so it's interesting, you know, he doesn't speak English or whatever English is supposed to be in Star Wars, in they call it basic Star Wars universe. <laughs> yeah. And and he comes from this like very indigenous 
I wouldn't even say it's coded. It's just an indigenous metaphor. Yeah. What did you uh, think planet. about that? What did you think about that part? Because I, I read a couple of people actually being upset that they didn't subtitle the indigenous kids in these scenes. Oh my god. I can see both ways. I feel like anytime you do something that um, is a metaphor for indigeneity and you don't give them the, especially if it's a made up language and you don't actually give them like dialogue and it has to be all inferred. Like I think from an artistic standpoint, I actually like that. I'm fine with that. But I I also understand where the other side's coming from. And it's like, well, now it just sounds like they're speaking a bunch of gibberish. Um, and of course there's, It'll probably additional layer. We probably don't have enough time to get into it, but <laughs> Diego Luna is, you know, he's a he's he's white Latino, mm-hmm. right? Um, so so as we're going to put him as the face of this indigeneity, it, it just seems weird to like put a non-indigenous actor even within the Star Wars universe as the face of indigeneity. Uh, yeah, not great. But, you know, the... Again, every time there's a little bit of... When we talk about Star Wars and sci-fi, there's always a little bit of, like, like fic- that, that like buffer of fictionist that get, makes it a little complicated. Yeah, I mean, this usually is what happens when you try to talk about these things in Star Wars because, like, even though Star Wars does have, like, political roots like or inspirations from real life political um happenings like political events most people there's view a it as limit like, there's a limit of how deep it can get yeah, yeah. and most yeah. people just see it as like a power fantasy right let's well, cool laser swords awesome powers like well, well the fact that the empire has become such a beloved component of star wars you know is is a tip off to that little a little concerning, maybe, um, that they should not be heroicized, but they are. <laughs> um, but I think this this show specifically just spends so much time in its brutality of the empire, what it's like living, you know, in a in that oppressed society when you aren't in power, and then consequently showing those in power who have a little more leeway, and just that harsh juxtaposition every time. You know, we switch straight from the ferric scenes or the prison scenes to like Mon Matha and her like beautiful apartment. <laughs> Absolutely beautiful. Would love to live in that or anything that's happening at Cor- Corsican. It's like, Oh, like that's disparity. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The Mon Mothma scenes definitely, um, she's definitely like a centrist, right? That's- yeah. Well, well, the other thing is like when we talk about how we can't necessarily lay our, uh, real world knowledge onto this show, like we know, we can see all of the outfits are like Asian inspired, right? But oh yeah, yeah, but they're was... they're not actually Asian, so like th- we can't really say that they're doing anything there. We know that the production did, but yeah, uh, so we same. That's why we can't necessarily lay the same sort of like rules on to the indigenous people there um or things like that but yeah uh mon mothma and all the wonderful parties i have to say like as as awful as it was just watching these like very privileged people like float about and whatever it was very fun to watch uh, it's so fun because it's like <laughs> it's so it's so coded right like she yeah. can't just outright be like i am for the rebellion it's like we the wheeling and dealing it's it's the politics part of star wars <laughs> yeah you know i've been I've been thinking about for a while, like I would love to have 
this happen in real life where we have like some um sleeper um people who they act like they're conservative or whatever but then they actually are like somehow like bombing it from the inside and like uh trying to figure out like ways to corrupt (laughs) but because i was like we need to like fight dirty (laughs) i mean and yeah anyway i mean that's happening just the opposite we have no 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 i'm saying (laughs) i want it this way not we need to go the other way yeah but but, oh we're gonna use the we're gonna use the villains tools (laughs) yeah isn't that the central one of the central questions or the quandaries is do we use the oppressor's tool to overthrow the oppressor can, but yeah, is, can you... is faking and going undercover an oppressor's tool, though? <laughs> You're using the same levers of power. Mm. No, no. What I mean, just because they happen to be using it, is it an oppressive tool? I don't know. Anyway. I mean, wow, what a great Star Wars, man. <laughs> making us ask these questions. Who would have thought? Um, I mean, part of what makes this work is also just the actors are all just doing phenomenal yes. work in this show. Well, well, I feel like all Star Wars have an incredible cast. It's just this one gets like meat to like chew on. Like they get to mm. act. Yeah. Like what happens? All these scenes. Yeah, what happens when they get a script that actually yeah. allows them to like flex those acting muscles? I mentioned this like a couple episodes ago, but people get full on speeches in this show and like they get really good monologues i'm just like damn i kind of wish this was like out when i was still acting i probably would have just <laughs> done one for like fun as an audition piece or something yeah i was impressed with all the monologues cuz i was like wait 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 not just stellan skarsgard gets one because i was like of course no. he gets one Brett, but he was like, like random one. side characters that you see for one episode get Wait, really good. Let's monologues. not call Andy Circus a random side character. No, not even Andy Circus. <laughs> like um, that guy who like like there's just like random characters. I'm like, you're all fascinating. Like that random man with a fun hat on the bus. Oh yeah. <laughs> like at, at Ferrex, who's just like chatting with um Stellan Skarsgård. I'm like, you're fun. I want to know your story. The guy who gets to ring the bell every morning. I'm like, you sound fun. I want to know your story. I love that this you know usually with sci-fi, especially like sci-fi series, because um because they're filmed in like Vancouver, you get all like the your your um. Stock, stock Canadian all, yeah, all your like actors. Canadian character actors and all those shows. Um, this show instead gives us all the stock, like all your all the people who, who you see on all these BBC shows are on Andor. Like all the character actors from from all the British character actors are in this. Yeah, and then they get like they get like classical theater esque like tinge monologues <laughs> to do, which is great. It just happens to be in a Star Wars show, which is hilarious. Um. I mean, in, in all the best ways. Yeah. Uh, oh, I Fiona Shaw Fiona, Fiona Shaw, yeah. man, who plays Marva Andor's uh, mom. Fantastic. She's always good, though. Aww. And um, yeah, there's a lot of like that. Gu- those guys. I'm pretty sure was was j- that dude that Mon Matha's old friend. Oh, I feel he like he coupling. was like. Yeah, he's in some. He's in those several. He's in a things. bunch of things. Yeah, I feel like he was in Mad Men at one point. Uh, he's like I that generic like white guy like well, like he's powerful pretty, white yeah. man i mean the first like the the security chief from the first episode like he was in pride and prejudice the bbc series <laughs> yes. oh yeah see my thing is do you think the british accent just also makes because i think overwhelmingly there's like british there's some scottish accents some some irish accents like do you think overall that just makes the experience of watching a star wars better 
Yeah. I mean, it does make for does. better fascists, right? Because that one scene, yeah. there's this one scene where there's literally like where the um, the Imperial Commandant's literally explaining how to divorce a colonized people of their culture, which is just that, yes, it makes sense. But but also, but also <laughs> I mean, the rebels also a lot of them have British accents too, and it just I don't know. Like you're supposed to do Shakespeare in your natural accent, and you know we've had shows where. Like Mandalorian is largely American accented. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Kenobi. I mean, Hugh McGregor's British, but you know, it's like a half-half kind of a thing, or most mostly American. I feel like the majority of these people have cool accents, and that just makes everything sound better. Yeah, I mean, I mean, the ones with the British accents are largely from like the core worlds or Coruscant. Um, but you know, the, the rebel team from the second arc, a couple of them had American accents. Like the guy, um, the, uh, speaking of like great character actors too, um, Eben Moss Bachrock, the guy who plays Skeen, mm-hmm. who was also cousin in the bear. Um, in the bear. Yeah. He was yeah. like, he was, he was there in his, the bear accent. Right. Yeah. Uh, who else did I, oh, I recognized, um, uh, the evil major Partagas? I don't know, but I just saw him in 1899. Um, um, <laughs> he's also from Game of Thrones, right? He's like the old miser Game of guy. Thrones. He, he was, yeah, Master Kyburn. Uh, he was in Killing Eve, because why not? You know, get all the Killing <laughs> Eve people there. Like, yeah, seriously. Uh, another Game of Thrones person was uh, Vel. So she was Faye Marseille. She was the waif who was going after... Um, oh! Yeah, oh, she, Arya. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was like, she looks very familiar. Yeah. Yeah, so... It's just a lot of really cool yeah. people. And so it's fun to see like what else yeah. they were in. Like very talented people, but like not so like famous that their presence is a distraction. Unless you're still in Skarsgård, who just oh, like yeah. ate well, I mean, every he totally, single scene he was in. <laughs> I love I love a flamboyant cover still in Skarsgård, like <laughs> antique dealer still in Skarsgård. Did you see the bill I come love... out when he changed personas? Yeah. I mean, I love still in Skarsgård, but yes, my most prominent memory of him is as bill so this is very <laughs> opposite of bill um it's bill and then it's orlando bloom's dad in the pirates of the caribbean movie oh my god oh i also really love just the setting like we, we mentioned just that this is like the first star wars to not take place on tattooing that like the first star wars disney plus series to not take mm-hmm. place on tattooing and yeah. I love that it gave us like because tattooing is shorthand for the frontier, right? It's like a very Western mm-hmm. setting, um, which is why they use it a lot in the Mandalorian because the Mandalorian is essentially a Western, a Western, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but um, Andor gave us like working class Ferrex. It also gave prison us prison in the. It gave us an Alcatraz prison yeah. in the middle. <laughs> I'm not gonna lie, the floor thing kind of reminded me of Face Off when they're at the island yeah. prison off Catalina, <laughs> where everyone has moon boots. Yeah, it was like did Tony Gilroy watch Face Off right before he wrote this? I love it. And it also gave us Space Miami, <laughs> Space South Beach, Space South Beach. <laughs> um, yeah, so it's really interesting to see these new worlds. And just the way, I think more importantly than that, it's just the way they treat all these new worlds. They really drop you in to multiple situations. Like every three episodes, you're just being dropped in a different situation. They're not explaining. They're not overloading you with exposition. You're kind of finding out shit as Cassian is. Sometimes though, I was like Cassian, you got to be a little more discreet with the staring. Like you, you wipe that. You're supposed to be like an elite spy. Like why do you look so like dumb? 
like obviously like looking like like calm down. So Not yet though, because this is his this is his hero's journey to becoming that spy. So right now he's just a very observative guy. I mean, he could observe a little more discreetly. <laughs> That's all I'm saying. Like so, some of those scenes in the prison, I'm like, my dude, they're gonna like they're gonna like they're gonna poke you. Like, can you please just be a little more chill about it? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I also love that uh, until Tony Gore has talked about this in his interviews, a lot of the arcs and settings are taking inspiration from like past resistances, right? Past rebellions, past movements, you know. Um, the heist in the second arc is based on like an early train heist by Joseph Stalin. Parts of the first arcs, you know, take inspiration from like the Troubles from North Ireland. And then parts of another arc take inspiration from like the Highland Clearances where the British forced the Scottish Highlanders to move into like industrial zones, right? Yeah. And, you know, I love, I would love to be in the room, be a fly on the wall when some like very right leaning Star Wars dude who's like, that was awesome, learns that that was like a Stalin story. <laughs> um, Don't know if that's ever going to happen, the, like the self-awareness, but it is it's it's interesting but i just again and it's maybe unfair to relay this expectation on a star wars show but it's like this is so well structured it's so entertainingly structured with the three arc where so you're getting like multiple climaxes right throughout the show it's not like you have to wait 10 episodes for something to happen you're getting some kind of big set piece like every you know three episodes which keeps it interesting keeps it moving yeah and like those like climax episodes are some of the most tense tv i've seen all year it's tense there's my sister dropped in just to watch one she just happened to watch like one of the random like climax of the arcs in one of the arcs and she like i have no context for what's happening but i'm very stressed i was like yeah those are like i want to know like as someone who binged these shows like how did you handle like all because those are like i was watching week to week and i was stressed every week like especially in those episodes well i i think it's that's why it was nicer to take them in like three episodes binges because in reality they're not that long they're each episode's about 40 minutes um and, and a lot of it is credits and like recap and <laughs> so that's ranging between like 40 to 45 minutes that is about a regular hour of tv but really each i they could do this because it's streaming on disney plus but each episode's really three episodes it's a beginning middle end each arc is one episode they just broke it up into three. So that is, and you know, finagled a little bit. So there's a little more, you know, the act breaks are a little cliffhangery towards the end. So it's like, you're just watching an extra long movie, but most movies like are three hours now. Like Black Panther was like two and a half, two <laughs> hours, 45 minutes. That's about what one arc of Andor is. Um, and like, I just learned pretty early on that don't get attached because shit's going down. And for me, it was also like, I know he doesn't die. He has to make it to Rogue One where he dies. Um, but that so doesn't like, really okay. take away from, I, I felt like that didn't really take away from the tense. No, that doesn't take away. Because, because, like they're all in danger. 
They're all in danger. Um, their loved ones are in danger. And again, it's just like that push and pull. It's 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 like it's like if you if you like the crown, you'll like Andor. If you don't like the crown because you find it boring, you'll like Andor because it has the relationship and like talking heads level of fantastic writing when that I think when Peter Morgan is at his peak is very entertaining. It's like just like two people talking and having dialogue in a room, push and pulling, fighting with their dialogue, with their words, with their objectives. And then every three episodes, you get a big boom, boom action piece. Uh, but it's all rooted in character, which is awesome. Yeah. Uh, also, like the liberal part of me is also very like, oh, yeah, it's all like proletariat rioting and liberation. <laughs> like that's, ve- that's very enjoyable for me to watch as like, you know, a pro-union like, yeah. you know, person. Um, but it... <laughs> It's, it was, it was, I, I enjoyed it because I was just like, it's stressful, but like, it's so good. It's so entrancing, like entrancing, like the, the, the acting, the dialogue, the, the world. And half the time I'm just trying to figure out like where I am because they're just dropping names left and right. They're dropping like referencing past situations within their own history that we don't know about. So you just have to like think a little bit and fur. Um, and then like, they're really smart. They don't show any of the, heavy violence they let us imagine it we cut away a lot like every time like extreme violence starts happening which i think that's always effective because you can never your mind's always gonna make up a more horrifying image than like disney plus is gonna allow you to show yeah i love that you know you got it's you really got everything in this series you got the great dialogue you got the great interactions the great acting but the action was pretty good too and like there's two space scenes in the series that like rival any like of the mainline Star Wars series, I feel like. Yeah, it's it's fun because again, the action is not based in fan like things it's not based on anything we can't grasp ourselves as like human beings on this earth, right? Like when it, we talk about Jedi and like force using and like people like jumping really high because of the force. It's like, you know, at a certain <laughs> point I think we get disconnected from it. But like I love the action sequences is this because it's so human. It's like, you know, they're like, we're stuck here. How do we get out? Okay, we can do this. Or like, people are going to die. Um, you know, like we have to use our, all we have, we're, we're outmanned or we're outgunned. Like we have to use our smarts to figure out a way. And that's always like really entertaining to watch. I think, I think we want to root for capable characters. So it's fun to watch them like think their way out of it. Yeah. I mean, it definitely is. Um, I mean, Han. I want to know, yeah. as like a culture critic, um, how far were you in when you realized, like, like when did you realize that this was something different, something special? Um, well, that's hard because you talked about it before I watched it. <laughs> um, so, but it was pretty early on, I think. I, I mean, let's be fair, might... Mike, my recommendations aren't always on the same wavelength as what you guys like. No, so. <laughs> he's like, I played this well, really depressing game. And... Well, no, 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 no. I mean, the other thing is, it's like, I also don't agree with a lot of other critics sometimes. Um, but it was pretty early on in the first like few episodes because I was just like, why am I like enraptured? Um, because like, I nothing's think the... happening. <laughs> well, I mean, it was just like, you are really in with all of the characters not just andor because like of course we like love cassian and you know he's gonna shoot some cops i'm all for that but at the same time i was like i was waiting and i think it was because when we started talking like looking at these other characters and i was still kind of interested maybe that was it so yeah it was pretty early on once we start getting to some other arcs that were not him 
Um, yeah. But yeah, I, I just, it's, it was just, yeah, I don't know how else to say it, but it, it is because it was a good TV show. Who knew? Who knew? Who knew? <laughs> All right. So um, before we call it for our regular episode and get into the spoiler zone, um, I mean, I don't think I need to ask, but I got to ask, is Andor good pop? Hell yeah. More good Star Wars, please. <laughs> Yeah, I'd I'd probably say that it should be on everyone's top ten list if you're a culture critic, and if it's not, you're lying. So it's it's not just a good Star Wars show; it's a show. It's a good show. Yeah, I'm like so bummed. We're two years away from more Andor, and apparently we only get one more season, right? Yeah, there's. Um, I think originally they were going to do five, and then Tony was like, "No, I can't do five I'm- seasons." <laughs> You That's know what? Fair. I respect him. I respect him for that because he only has so much story to tell to tell it in the right amount of time. And just because, you know, the machine wants to, the mouse wants yeah. extra money doesn't mean that that's the story. So, I mean, we're getting season three of Mandalorian. We're getting more Grogu. So, you know, the mouse, the mouse will be satisfied. For sure. <laughs> I hope we continue with this like no Jedi, no um, just or like, you know, just passing references. But I like this. I like this bottom up approach of like the shit that's going down at this like dirty ground level is eventually going to affect that big Jedi Luke Skywalker story um, that they don't know. And that like that, you know, even the Jedi don't know. Yeah. I mean, obviously, I also think this is a good pop. I just love that you can tell a story in this world and not have a revolve around like chosen ones and heroes, you know, and or is. A chosen one, but not like anointed by like the force mm-hmm. gods or whatever. He's a chosen one because he's just he's scrappy. He's a guy. He's a, he's a guy yeah. in the right place at the right time. Yeah, but like, and also just the amount of help the chosen one needs to get to what he needs to become, right? Like his whole community, and I really did like that too. Like this whole community of folks just doing what they can to stand up against the empire in ways big and small. And that gives me hope. I feel the same amount of hope like I did after Trump won the election in 2016. I was devastated. But then I watched Rogue One. And I'm like, oh, fuck. Okay. <laughs> I guess I have to do something now. Well, yeah. That was our discussion of Andor. Available now to stream in its entirety now on Disney+. And also, like, it's playing now on... Is it on FX? Um, Hulu. And a few places. I think here's the thing. The other reason I w- why I want to talk about this show is the thing is, I don't think that many people watched it, which is why they're making it available for other people to check out in case they don't have Disney+. Plus. Um, and also, I think they understand that this is a really good show. So they want as many eyeballs on this as possible. I think so. this can win back a lot of goodwill. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I think it also can draw in the people who like are not into the fantasy sci-fi world. Um, you know, there is a segment of people who I think don't care about Star Wars as the IP, but like liked Rogue One and would watch something like this. Yeah. I mean, I feel like there's not a small amount of people that I know who were not giving this a chance because they had been burned before. By Boba Fett and Obi Wan Kenobi, yeah. Um, and yeah, for the others, you can say, "Did you like Michael Clayton? This is by that guy." Yeah, or like, "Do you like Do you like Rogue One? Did you Do you like corporate es- Do you like espionage movies? Do you like spy movies? Do you like Prison Break movies?" All right. Well, if people want to find out more of your thoughts, uh, where can they go? 
Still on Twitter at Just You Tweets. Uh, same at Anonymous. <laughs> you can find me on Twitter at Marvin. You can find our show at Good Pop Club. Uh, we are a proud member of the Potluck Podcast Collective. Check out our fellow Potluck Pods by going to the website podcastpotluck.com. And yeah, thanks for tuning in for another episode of the Good Pop Culture Club. Um, you know, if you haven't done so yet, go watch Andor. I cannot stress that enough. And yeah, and if you have watched Andor and want to listen into our spoiler discussions, um, stick around. Um, we're going to do a quick promo of a potluck show, and then we'll be back to talk about more Andor. Uh, but until then, uh, see you all next time. Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye. Brian, did you go to Saturday school as a kid? I sure did. Did you? Totally. Well, at our podcast, Saturday School, we don't teach a language, but we pass along the culture that we do know. And that's Asian American pop culture. Ada is a journalist, and I'm a professor and film festival programmer. We've watched a lot of great Asian American movies, and we want you to watch them too. Come listen to us as we look back at the pioneering films that have led us to today. All right, and welcome to the Good Pop Spoiler Zone um, and or edition. This is where um, Jess, Han, and I will just geek out about all the things that we loved about Andor without any fear of spoiling anyone haven't watched yet, um, I guess. Okay, I do, I do have one criticism of the show. Some of the names, really <laughs> B-list names, like Tim with two M's. That's the best you could do, Gilroy. And, but to be fair, Tim was the most annoying character, and I'm glad he biffed, got biffed. <laughs> oh, you mean Tim the Snitch? It's like Tim. What do you think you're gonna do? Like running towards a like a I got. I sound like a terrible like cop apologist. I'm not a cop apologist, but I'm like Tim. What do you think you were gonna do in this situation? Like at what were you useful in any of the three episodes you were in? No. I mean, I guess he sets off the story by being a little snitch. I mean, in essence, Tim destroyed the Death Star by being a snitch. Because his snitching on Cassian inevitably leads to him joining. Right. I mean, I guess. <laughs> so you're saying snitching is good, Marvin? Is that what is that what no. your takeaway? Yeah, is? maybe maybe snitching is good actually. <laughs> if it leads maybe to the eventual dis- good, destruction, actually. no, that's not what I think. And you know what actually destroys the Death Star is Cyril Karn's um, overzealousness in his police work. <laughs> Oh my I, god! Yeah, I don't know. I was just like, he was an enjoyable character because he was so lame in some ways. So lame, right? Like when he like like the epitome of go touch some grass, my dude. Yeah, like they they even uh, we love the office decor because it was such a like a corporate like mindless, um, faceless sort of office. Um, but also at one point when we're talking about the costuming and um and how most of it's asian inspired but there's one where they literally just gave him a tie like yeah some of the costuming was also kind (laughs) of was also kind of lazy like there's just there's definitely some outfits in this like the character i'm like you're just wearing a t-shirt i didn't think it was lazy per se no no this one i no well i mean when it comes to tie i meant i think that was specific they made him a corporate drone 
like who followed mindlessly. So I mean, about Cyril Karn, I just I I enjoyed all the scenes because he was suffering, and I enjoyed (laughs) watching him suffer. His mom's a hoot too. I'm glad we got to see his mom. How did you like that uh, blue blue milk? milk. I'm just saying that scene where she was like. Stop slouching. You're telling it's like you're telling everyone, I promise to disappoint you. And I'm like, oh. I also feel like she got real like immigrant mom energy, but like then how did he turn out to be such a little piece of shit? (laughs) (laughs) Um he was probably away. But also, you know what? You can't blame everything on the mom. So if if she she tried her best with him, um I don't know. I feel like maybe Uncle Harlow. I feel like there's a, I can see children of Republican immigrants becoming Republicans, you know? Yeah, I guess that's fair. <laughs> so that's but. zero. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, so I guess we can start off the spoiler class with a banger because I do want to talk about the, um, there's not a lot, like for a Star Wars, like there wasn't a lot of romance, you know, there were like two, let's say three main couples and then they all have problems. Right. Thank God. Um, but <laughs> the one that everyone has um, taken a, let's say, a morbid curiosity, like a morbid um, interest? Uh, interest in, yeah, <laughs> is between the two fascists, Ciro Karn and Tedra Miro. God, that was disturbing. It was kind of perfect <laughs> because of that, though. Um, getting both turned on by fascism, I don't know. It's just... Uh, it it worked out for me. I think <laughs> no, no, no. It was disturbing, yeah. but like in a good way. Like, yeah, that's that's exactly how I would imagine a a romance between like two the scene where to he's go. literally stalking her in her like on her way to work and saying, "Like, you're so beautiful." <laughs> oh my god! It was just and also I, because because that's how he expresses himself. Because it's like no sane woman wants that attention, but oh. It, it worked you, for her. Do you think, like, if they were on siblings or dating, people would vote them as siblings? <laughs> I think they, they would, they would vote them as, as siblings. Both. <laughs> they would be voted as both. <laughs> like the the, so the amount of times Tony Gilroy made them almost kiss was like my skin crawled out of my body, like both times. But like that's good, right? Because like we've had a kind of problematic habit in media recently of like being a little too nice to Nazis and fascists Mm -hmm. Um, and we have to remember that we're a country that you know literally fought a whole ass war to be the Nazis Um, and now we're like you know a portion of this country like "Eh, maybe they had some ideas no (laughs) let's not do that let's not do that I hope I hope this show did not go over people's heads oh it did don't worry about that it definitely uh, did and then, and then i am also a little like you know like i love this show is really great i think it was like you know it's very cathartic to see you know the power of the people and the proletariat rise up and like you know stick it to the empire but i'm just like man why don't we get these stories just like set in today or like in real life about like you know the global south of like historically oppressed peoples like it's only palatable in the Star Wars context, I was like, "There, if you like the fucking money heist based off Joseph Stalin, can we not just make movies about revolutionaries like like RRR? I <laughs> not mean, that that's real, but mm-hmm. I mean, I 
a part of me says that you can only get this nuance in like revolutionary storytelling through allegory, through sci- like through the allegory of science fiction, because basing in the real world, there's just so much like people are more willing to accept it. I don't know. Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. It's very Brechtian, right? Like we said things in the past because we can't confront our present. <laughs> so it has to be like through like the safety of the past. Yeah. But we're really talking about today. Yeah. Um, and hint, hint, where the Star Wars show is talking about today. And like there's not a there's also not a small amount of people who like see this and say, oh, this is about China. And not the US. Oh, right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, we're very uh, we're very eccentric. Um, Or, you know, it could be about Iran. It could be about Egypt. It could be about... (laughs) It's probably about a lot of other places besides the United States because we ain't doing shit. I mean, a lot of it's also... (laughs) I mean, a lot of the inspiration is also taking from former atrocities from the biggest colonizer, the British monarchy. United States? Oh, yeah. I mean, we're pretty close. And, you know, the British thing. We're not great, but the British, yeah, they really have the trophy on that. Yeah. Um, I also wanted to, we didn't spend a lot of time on the other, one of the other major relationships, but what did you think about Mon Mothma and his shitty, and her shitty husband and her trad wife daughter? I mean, I felt sad because it felt very real to me. <laughs> uh, in this, weird loveless relationship where she's hiding like a major part of her life from her husband and so it's all for show and then yeah her 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 daughter but also a second daughter hey um no sister it's her sister right um uh the avel who's that's her cousin um, her cousin oh yeah all right whatever (laughs) (laughs) relative um but yeah so i don't know i i i i just felt like it fit with her being in this privileged class that she had sort of a uh, a fraud marriage I mean I think it was an arranged marriage right like it was like a old custom or something and it fits <laughs> I mean fits. there's also like because in like you know real world today times we're seeing like a like a reversion to conservative values in culture right and there's been a movement to like hey, maybe women are too independent. Maybe they'll be happier as like traditional wives, right? And like to see that portrayed in Star Wars as well was kind yeah. of- Yeah, like, and you know, uh, you know, th- speaking of arranged marriages, you know, that was her daughter's fate <laughs> also. It, at first she was against it. Like, how dare he? But it's like, nope, you do what she needed to do in I order mean, to get that. Yeah. I mean, her daughter really, her daughter wanted it though. Like she it was, was excited her daughter, about it. Her daughter was an interesting character. I have no clue exactly like what I felt about her. Like at first I thought maybe you could be interesting. And then I was like, I don't know. Um, I think I needed more. I mean, <laughs> Just, that scene yeah. where she was like literally in like a Bible study group, right? About how she wants to be. Um, I I see it. I see it as a sacrifice. That's her sacrifice. She is so busy she basically had to be the career woman and now she's fighting this empire so she doesn't really have time to impart her values on her daughter who now takes after her husband her shitty husband not even because her husband is also against the you can see i mean she's hanging out with some people right like she's hanging out with someone who's like more traditional old school and um 
it's it's like yeah it, it, I, I like it because, you know, as far as Star Wars goes, the women in this show are written, I think, pretty well. Like, they're given the same kind of interiority as uh, the ma- male characters. Um, and none of them are, like, necessarily shoehorned into, like, just being a mom or just being a love interest. Um, and And we don't get... I don't, I, if I can recall, there's no like overt sexual violence that's like put on. There's a violence, but not like sexual violence on, on the, on the women. I'm just like, oh, this is, this is quite nice. I can, I can watch this without like wanting to throw something at my TV. Do you think though that Mon Mothma looks at Bail Organa and his daughter and imagines, man, what would life be like if my daughter didn't suck? I just think I don't know what Genevieve O'Reilly, the actor who plays Mon Mothma, does, but she looks fantastic right now. <laughs> I feel like she's aging backwards, considering that the first movie, Revenge or like Revenge of the Sith, Sith was like fifteen, almost twenty years ago. It's like, girl, you you look you look the same, if not better. <laughs> who is your Botoxer? I want to go to there. Or maybe she's just like really good with her sunscreen and like stays out of the sun because she's like a redheaded, like Irish lady. But I don't know, man. That was a weird. <laughs> he also like it didn't help that he was like always in a kimono. I'm like, I can't take you seriously, sir. <laughs> I was so I listened to a podcast called uh, A More Civilized Age, which is a pretty good rewatch podcast. They they cover the Clone Wars, but during the Andor season, they like. They commented on every episode and something that they noted was maybe like, I mean, obviously there's Asian inspirations in Star Wars, right? He literally it was inspired by Kurosawa movies, um, but they, they, they posit a theory, which is what if this is like a Jedi style, right? What if like the Jedi after being um, eradicated by the Empire has now become just a vibe, like a fad, like a fashion fad? Oh, so like the, the robes. But they, but they get fancier basically because they're wealthy. Um, I mean, yeah, that's that does sound like very impo- on par with like people in privilege do. Um, they're just like we're just gonna. But but you know, I would think someone in that position would be. It seems to be more about the uh, that's more traditional dress for their home planet than because 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 the the guy from that's where he's from. He's from the Crown. Yeah, the, their friend. Peter ben Townsend. Ben. He's Peter Townsend in The Crown. So Peter Townsend also comes in like a kimono outfit. Mm-hmm. So I think it's like a home thing, which is like, you know, Star Wars always has an element of Orientalism. You know, like, oh. <laughs> but the, the fucking Ewoks are just being Tagalog, Marvin. Oh. <laughs> okay. Oh. Um. Should we get to prison? And my favorite arc. It is really just a beautifully done arc. <laughs> I feel like even if people might not have quite been sold yet, like once you get to that, I was just like, how are you not like really engaged with it? So from the start, even how he gets arrested, how he gets sentenced, and then how they display like show all of these prisoners um, being on program. Like all of those, all of those touches, like in like ensure that you are not just on Cassian Andor side, but everyone's side. You see how they are been like um, unjustly imprisoned and and sentenced, 
And so I think that's one of the things that I really liked about this is um, one of the few times you can see the, the prison to uh, slave sort of t- uh, pipeline. Yeah, I was like, I was not expecting a whole like <laughs> treatise on like prison abolition in the middle of this. <laughs> and I was just like, oh, they don't know. I was like, would they care though? I feel like no one would care. And then And then the extra chair on the top is like, oh no, we got like resentenced because of there was some Senate bill mm-hmm. that yep. passed. And I was like, oh my God, this is again, so like banal, like so like. Uh, but but also like so horrific right that's the tragedy like something so banal as like a new bill like basically sentences to death in this like terrible alcatraz prison that was based off face off the floor is lava (laughs) uh yes i I like all the illusions you are correct on all of them (laughs) but uh yeah so i just but also just how they got even the mentality in in the prison where some people are like, no, no, you have to like do all of this and um and work really hard because then you will get your reward. You will get out. And I was like, oh, oh, no. Yeah. Whereas like I only have like 200 stints left. Like I'm, I'm going to get out of here. Like I'm going to sell everyone out to get out of here. Like I don't care. I mean, the, the, um, just the gamification of just mm-hmm. the like the prison, Production. like, like, like the, the prison, like, like what was it like? Yeah, the, the the prison like sweatshop, right? Like, mm-hmm. and I I read a tweet where people were complaining like, oh, this is not realistic. Why doesn't Empire just use robots? They'd be cheaper. I'm like, no, uh, I think prisoners. No, would be he cheaper. says we're cheaper and easier to replace than <laughs> droids. Yep, yep. Uh, I mean, why not? It's free labor, basically. Yeah, and and also this is where the arc where Andy Circus with his full human face you know comes in and like blew everyone away who didn't realize he was an also an actor um outside of being uh you know uh with his face yeah a lot of people were surprised that he was good as a non-cg man um, <laughs> i'm just happy he didn't have to get like all dotted up or in like a yeah. weird like green body sock to act this time for the few people who don't realize he played like Gollum um, in addition to other characters, but his main claim to fame King Kong is, is Gollum, <laughs> yeah. the monkey in Planet of the Apes. I mean, he was already a, he he was he was um, Supreme Leader Snoke in the sequel trilogy of yep. Star Wars, and like that led to a lot of really dumb articles. It was just like, is Andy Serkis' character uh, actually Snoke? Which is like, yeah. no, which <laughs> no, this is not no. Marvel. This is not like they don't do that shit. Here. <laughs> so, but I mean, just. You can tell what makes him a good CG actor because his face, even without mm-hmm. any dialogue, is putting in Expressive. acting work, you know? Mm-hmm. He acts yeah. with every single crease and eyebrow. And- <laughs> there, there, there was a lot of great, like, just close-up. Again, but this is, like, you can only do that when you have characters with interiority <laughs> yeah. and, like, great dial- great writing. Um, there's a lot of scenes where it's just, like, we're going to stand still in Scar Scar's face while he talks. And then cut to the other actor's face as he reacts to Stellan Skarsgård talking. Like, that's the drama. No pew pew, nothing falling out of the sky. I And it was so much better. I'm yeah. sorry. Like, it was just so much better. Yeah. And I have to say, you know, I love I love a prison break. It's basically up there with heists. 
you know, mm-hmm. for me, because it's of like the, a reverse heist. Yeah, because you you have to still get a ragtag team together and and sort of coordinate and overthrow something and like have some planning going on and th- things can go wrong and things do go wrong. But yeah, so it was just like for me, this was like the ultimate <laughs> where you basically have a reverse heist in the middle of a Star Wars um, and done beautifully because I was like, I was honestly kind of still wondering who else was gonna die you know i assumed certain people were gonna die i like i knew of course that casting andor would make it out at some point <laughs> but um yeah I, yeah I the fact that it went over a few episodes i was like oh they're taking their time this is good stuff i mean those three episodes also gave us like a lot of meaty mon mothma and like um intrigue stuff but those three episodes were written by um i forgot his name but he was a writer on house of cards Bo Williamson? Yeah. yeah, Bo Williman. Williman, yeah. Yeah, because those were also the episodes that gave us the Stellan Skarsgård speech, right? Why he fights, what he gives up. Yes. Which, man, I still have chills listening to. Like, this is just like Stellan Skarsgård. This is like... Look, you can tell uh, everyone's having a really good time acting. Yeah. I mean, what like, that was essentially like a experience soliloquy, right? He's just like lamenting his like lot in life that he has to use um, as a revolutionary using... The tools of his oppressor against them, and like selling a soul in the process. Yeah, I. That's <laughs> like how 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 much more can I just agree with the fact <laughs> that these monologues are just. I, not only is it great acting, but just really tells you what's They're going so on. They're so fun them. every yeah. time, and the monologues are always like metaphor, like these long metaphors, right? And I'm like, that's a good metaphor. You go, Tony. <laughs> like even the like I. SB boss, right? He's like, we are here as a preventative measure. We're not the doctor. We're <laughs> we're here to prevent the disease. I'm like, wow, that's that's fun writing. Yeah. Like, we love a metaphor. And you know, we got the early on also, and during the like, you know, we talked about having a reverse heist in the series where there was actually there was also an actual heist, and you know, one of the one of the team members is like young communist theory boy right who oh my sweet little baby with his manifesto i'm just like you sweet little cherub face boy you're gonna die oh he was too sweet i was like you're not gonna make it boo the heist the heist was like that episode like i was like out of breath the entire like 40 minutes like just wondering because you know what these heists like things go wrong at some point well, that's also the fun when, like, you don't have these big characters. It's like everyone is expendable. So everyone, with again, with the exception of Cassio, who we know makes it to the beach. Um, you know, so it's all, it's like, it's like you can't take anything for granted. And it is fun kind of going to a show with those stakes. Yeah. And this, like, I want to talk about the episode because, like, they hold this heist on an mm-hmm. imperial payroll, which, again, a lot of people online thought, apparel heist was stealing a list of names and not like the actual <laughs> money. stealing the money <laughs> oh my yeah. god but even then like so mundane right like this is a thing they have to do all the time they have to pay their employees so we're gonna steal the money to fund a revolution like it's so boring <laughs> it's fascinating it's, and then like every time i think of like again the operations of war like oh you need workers you need material resources you need time you need talent you need you know you need your um which it's funny because like we know in the rogue one like that's kind of the other side that's that's 
essentially the same story, right? Jin's whole life is fucked up because her dad is the only one who can do the brain power thing to build the Death Star. So it's interesting <laughs> that they're both their lives are kind of being pulled because of, again, HR. Yeah. And just the fact that, like, they set, they time their heist along, like, not only a natural phenomenon, but, like, a cultural event. And it culminating in this, like, escape scene through, like, a meteor shower. Like, that is some, like, of the most... Well, we we saw this, right? We saw this version, like, executed maybe poorly in the last jet, the, the Rise of Skywalker with the Space Coachella. I've never seen <laughs> Do you guys Rise remember Space Coachella? <laughs> Did you forget about Space Coach? Well, I, I didn't watch Rise of Skywalker, so I'm not sure you're talking about. So there's about. a scene, there's a set piece scene where they have to go to this festival and it literally looks like Space Coachella. And then uh, Lando comes out of nowhere in his oh, space yeah. RV. Oh, yeah. I remember that now. I barely remember that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Space Coachella. Or like Space Holy, Holly. Mm-hmm. That you sounds know. dire. <laughs> no, it's not great. It's not great. Oh, I, I like this version a lot better. Um, yeah, I like this version a lot better. Um, but yeah, like there's there's a scene where the TIE fighter pilots are scrambling and you see like the meteor, like the meteor shower in the distance. And like when has Star Wars looked this pretty too, right? Like Star Wars has always looked cool maybe, but not like pretty. I, I mean, I think the apart interior design fantastic. Um, there were some parts where I'm like, this just looks like the L.A. downtown. Um, you know the built the the like sheriff's office building. Some of the buildings, like the IBS security. Well, ISB, I mean, I always mix it up and call it IBS. I mean, yeah. that makes sense though because the Empire is all about like sterility and like uniformity, right? Yes. Yeah, I mean, I think that was on purpose, right? To, like, show the mundanity of, like, bureaucracy and how, like, fascism thrives when you just have a bunch of people just doing their jobs, right? Yeah, that's how you have a Nazi. That's how you have Nazis, Marvin. There's a lot of literature on this. (laughs) All right, so the last thing I want to talk about is just the final climax of the series, which is... The riot on Ferrix. Oh, that was so beautifully done. Um, <laughs> because it is in line with Marva's funeral, right? Yeah. Um, and it's, it brings everybody together. <laughs> and I love I love that Andor introduced Star Wars' version of a marching band. Yeah. So we get a marching band. We get um we get a hologram, um, hologram version of Marva talking out of a droid, you know, so B2 Emo gets to like step up and do something. Um, we get like literal, like what, first brick thrown or something. Um, we got the the fascist closing in. This is like so much is going on. And then and then Cassian is like trying to break someone out of her prison. Uh, Bix, I think it's Blix. Um, what else is going on? Um, Who's been tortured by the death screams of right. children? Oh my god, that is the ultimate torture. Because I was just like, 
Who thought of that, first of all? See? Yeah, that guy, that torture guy. He gets a great monologue, too. I'm just like, so like literally fun. all these side characters, we like barely see like everyone's like, you get a monologue, you get a monologue, everyone gets a monologue. It's so fun. <laughs> not not the torturing with the dang children, but yeah. Um, doesn't sound great. Like that's horrifying, right? Like that's more horrifying than any like laser shooting things that like Palpy's done. <laughs> I think. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's literally... That's fucked up yeah. shit, man. That's so fucked up. And just, like, the utter glee in which he's, like, talking about this invention. Yeah. Like, and the other, like, admiration he has for this genius. And the way that they show, like, what Bix looks like after the torture. And just, like, becoming, like, literally like a husk of a person, like... Yeah. In her cell. It's... A lesser show would have kept her in her makeup, right? <laughs> Uh, yeah um but i do i do love that the riot like because the entire like again like all the climax episodes is just full of tension and in this final episode the um um rick's road like the lead up to the confrontation right the funeral procession that entire time when the whole entire town is converging in the town square and you see all the imperials freak out because they're doing this two hours earlier. We're not ready. We need to go mobilize and do a show of force, right? To like intimidate townspeople. And the entire time, like you don't know when that first brick is going to be thrown. You don't know when it's going to turn into a riot, but you feel that tension. And the thing that causes the riot isn't Marva's speech. Isn't her like call to action. Like we need to wake up. It's the prefect knocking over B2MO. <laughs> yeah. Like how dare you, sir? Yeah, that justice <laughs> for B two M O. Okay, yeah. I, I I think what I like about this, I know it's not a Marvel thing, but it still is a Star Wars thing. And usually, you know, they would also technically in their third act also have a big blowy uppy thing. Um, that yes, this is a right. This is a very um grounded uh fight rebellion battle that we see that where normal folk are just like picking up stuff and like going at it. And it's, and it's one of those things where, and many of these big like third act sort of things or last fights or whatever, I kind of like sort of tune out because usually, you know, there's just too much action. I don't care what's going on, but this one, you're just like, Oh no, this person, Oh no, don't step on that person's hand or, or like whatever their arc is. And then all of a sudden there's a sexy moment with like Cyril and Deidre. Like what's that? That wasn't going? sexy. That wasn't sexy. Let's, let's be real. There's no, no sexual chemistry in that entire scene, even though they were literally about to kiss. It was so- like, like Karn just reminds me of like, a Ken doll with no genitals. <laughs> oh God! Like, yeah. Like that's all I can think of. Like, like I, I, I just—he's so like it's great. Like his character is yeah. great. It's so, so entertaining good. to watch. He's so like creepy and pathetic at the same time. I mean, what was the lines like? like oh my because God. it was you. Yes. <laughs> uh, it was so good. Uh, um, I just appreciated how they'd worked it out. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I mean, it's this show, like it was just, it was like, I was just constantly amazed at, like on like how hard this show went, especially on its themes, right? Like the entire, the entire ride was caused because the Imperials didn't know how to like handle a large group of people gathering, right? And like, they like mm-hmm. overreacted. And there was that line mm-hmm. in the prison arc where 
um, Andor tells um, tells uh, what was Andy Serkis's character Kino 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 Loy yeah that like power doesn't panic right like if mm-hmm. true power does not panic and true power does not panic and you know they don't have enough guards and that's that's the truth of every power mm-hmm. structure right there's always going to be more of us than there are of them in power and it's that's why the people in power have to work so hard to keep everyone oppressed i mean anyone who who was in like especially on the front lines of the riots uh like especially like the black Lives matter ones uh very much would understand what's going on here because despite not having their own weapons or anything like that, um, they are supposedly, you know, treated as the threat. And the ones who have the physical force are the ones like, well, we gotta like keep you in line or we're gonna overreact or whatever it is that they're doing. So powers in the people, yeah. y'all. Yeah. Which I'll get back to my hot take. It's all about HR, <laughs> HR management. Oh, I think, yeah. I- like this, this entire show, LeBron, I was like, I was worried that they wouldn't be able to land the ending. And I was so glad that they did because, like, I remember how I felt episode eight of WandaVision saying, <laughs> Oh, this is great. I can't wait to see Aww. how they finish, like, how they land it. And we got that Marvel third act, right? Yeah. Oh, um, my God. That was bad. And I think it was a smart choice not to make Andor like an action hero, right? He never really fights. Like he's never like No, he's I mean, he's he not fights. a fighter. He's a spy. He's a spy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And he's a he's, scruffy little guy. During each of the climaxes, right? The third, the sixth, the tenth, and the twelfth episode. He's never like leading the charge. In the first climax, he's just trying to escape. He's just trying to get away from the cops, right? In the in the during the heist, he's just like he's the wheelman. Like he's just there to like drive the ship. Um, in during the prison break, he's the one behind. Like he's the planner, right? He he counts on Kino to lead the prison riot, but he's not like ahead. And then you know, in the twelfth episode, all he does is break Bix out of prison. He doesn't really do anything. Like the Imperials mm-hmm. literally own themselves. In like, right, right. The the people who are more let's say active participants of the actual riot would you know even be b2 emo or any of these other people yeah. <laughs> so yeah i mean he was now that i think about it every single one of the climaxes the people in power like the cops like zero Karn's cop squad um the commandant of the of the um payroll um the prison <laughs> guards and you know and and the um the prefect they all own themselves, right? Like they they ultimately are the cause of their own downfalls, right? Yeah. Yep. Again, you gotta find the right people. And uh that's it's very important. Um and it's I mean, like umpires I mean, I think inherently the the uh the argument is that empires have to fall because it's hard being this evil all the time. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're seeing that in real life. Like it just it just eventually like you cannot maintain an empire forever. Um, like the there's something inherent in human nature that will always fight back. Um, and I feel like with and the ca- character of Cassie Andor, he like I, I was thinking when I was watching this, I was like, you know, we always get like things about like, oh, who do we fight for? I mean, we get them the the Star Wars movies. Like, who do we fight for? And Kelly Marie Tran's character, Rose Tico, has that line. It's like, 
We fight for the ones we love. But I'm like, can pettiness sustain a revolution? Can anger sustain a revolution? Because I think that's also kind of what this show is asking. Like, can can vengeance? Or I don't even know if it's vengeance. Um, but yeah, like, like what is this? What like what sustains someone like Luthen? Right? Like, we don't know why he wants to do this. He has that great monologue, but. He could call it quits anytime, but he uses so much of his power, leverage, and like sacrifices so much of himself to like threaten other people, like push them, right? Like doing things they want to. It's like, like what? What is why? Why? What yeah. motivates him? I mean, and I think I think inherently he recognizes that in Cassian too, because it's like Cassian keeps claiming he doesn't want to get involved, and yet. Like every he step he takes, never takes everything. He never takes anything like as like the. Like, as that's the end. He's like, no, I'm going to get out of here. Like, I'm not going to do this. Like, yeah, he does have this rebellious streak of like, no, you can't. Like, no, I'm not going to accept this. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I want, I, I'm hoping season two will delve more into that, right? Like, because we saw a little bit of like the infighting within the rebellion or the rebel cells between yes. Luthen, Sagara, played by Forrest Whitaker, and Mon Mothma on like, how extreme how to do it which yeah. is so great right because it's like marvin you know we've been in causes the worst infighting is on the same side oh yeah i mean and it's so distracting it's, all, a distra- it's a distraction from the real mission right I mean, we, all, like, we all went through 2016 2020 of the democratic primaries we all understand it's true um and like we know who ultimately comes out as the leader of the rebellion and it's mon mothma ultimately the most like the least extreme, right? The one who wants to do things, quote unquote, the right way, uh, <laughs> which ultimately fails because that we get another trilogy where there <laughs> is a empire that we have to fight because it is called Star Wars and not Star Peace. <laughs> <sighs> but yeah, I'm hoping I'm hoping we'll see more of that develop as well because as a, as much as I love. Andor's character and his arc. Ultimately, Andor's not about Andor, really. Like, Andor is all like, Andor was like, throughout the show, Andor was kind of like a background character in his own story, right? Yeah, which I think is kind of like the point. Because again, he's not actively choosing to do anything right now. I think that's all going to be part of his journey. And, you know, especially in that first flashback within the first three episodes, we get that flashback on Canary where he, you know, he sees the officer stir and doesn't do anything. (laughs) And that ultimately leads to, you know, their leader dying and, or getting killed and him being whisked away and separated from his sister. Like his inaction is literally the root cause of what gets him into this whole mess. Um, and that is his journey. Yeah. Oh, it's so good. It's just like knowing how this his whole story and his life ends. I'm like, man, <laughs> Tony Gilroy, you really put your whole OC into this. <laughs> Hire more people who don't give a shit about Star Wars to write Star Wars, please. Yeah. Han, what are you I think excited? that's the trick. Han, what are you most excited about for season two? Uh, <laughs> more B2 emo. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I'm on brand. Yes. More B2 emo and just him being so sad and so tired. Tired, and and maybe having someone stick up for him, you know, and say, let him talk. Don't interrupt him and say you don't, you're not interested in what he has to say. <laughs> um, I'm looking at you, 
and or like I, I love you, but you can't interrupt the droid when he has things to say. Um, so besides that, but I just honestly just more. <laughs> I don't care what it is, just more of the same. Um, more okay. of this I, Star Wars, right? More of yeah. like these stories about like people who aren't heroes in crazy armors or with superpowers. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, what do normal people in the Star Wars world do? I would love to see an arc based off that crazy ass Chinese propaganda story where they like climbed a mountain to Marvin, oh. have you heard of this? Maybe you've heard the other side because I know your family's Taiwanese, but like the national during the Chinese Civil War, the nationalists and the communists were fighting, or like and then they um the communists like scaled this mountain overnight and like surrounded like a group of like 20 people like surrounded like a whole like it's it's there's a whole ass statue. It's so weird, oh. but um, I have visited that site. I mean, that'd be interesting, but I I kind of want Endor to be kind of war free, like not about battles, but about like mm-hmm. the like the like espionage. Like, I want more Americans than like. Yeah, no, I, yeah. I I agree. I think there's so many things that people talk about when it comes to war that it doesn't have to be the front lines battle stuff there's all this other stuff going on in the background and that's what i really enjoyed about this was like see people look at that you can do that i mean we've already established andor as a fuck boy right so i want to see him use that to develop contacts within the like within the isb like developing assets within like the imperial system by using all of diego luna's many talents as a Sexy man. Yeah. He's so sexy. Beard or no beard. I love it. Uh, yeah. There were some really good facial hair moments. Um, I also want to see Cyril Karn file some paperwork. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe oh, get a weird. paper cut. That would be good. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I mean, when we're coming back season two, he's married with kids with Dead Ramiro, right? I, I don't oh, see that happening. No, no, it's like it's like moonlighting. You can't get them together. You know, <laughs> they need to have the, the tension. Oh, but I want to see awkward tension. I want to see the two of them in like the most loveless no uh, marriage. It, 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 it'll be like an office bad office um, tension romance because she's like somehow becomes his superior, um, but he's into yeah. it. <laughs> Please stop! Oh, I just barfed in my mouth a little bit. Oh my god! Um, you know there's some fan fiction out there. Oh. I- I would. I'm not gonna lie though. If someone decided to do a spinoff weird ass rom com with Karn and Miro, I would watch that. Like a really twisted version. I I, I see a one off webtoon. Like that's all I'm asking. I mean, yeah. Let's let's make you, but Star Wars, right? That's essentially what that story is. Oh God. Uh, sure. Oh, we very- need to stop. We need to stop. <laughs> a bit punchy. All right. Yeah, well, I guess that'll do it for our spoiler zone for Andor. Um, I feel like we can go on for a lot more, but alas, it is getting pretty late and we all need to rest up. But um, yeah, thanks for joining us and we'll see you all next time. Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye.